0: Welcome to Silvacast, a podcast about all things silviculture. In fact, welcome to Season 1, Episode 1. My name is Greg Edge, along with my co-host, Brad Hutnick. We are both silviculturists with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. And for the record, Brad, we're amateurs. Very amateur. And this first episode might sound a little rough, so be kind. Actually... Our motto is, good enough. <laughs> Brad, what possessed us to do a podcast about silviculture?
1: So how did we come to this, Greg? So my best recollection no idea. is that we were sitting around probably over an adult beverage one night <laughs> thinking about this and going, man, wouldn't it be cool if we had a podcast about silviculture where foresters could get information about things that they wanted to hear, hear about? Well, we'd like to talk about silviculture, from so they know. why wouldn't somebody else? That's right. And they should be interested mm-hmm. in the topics we're interested in, right? So, well, maybe, maybe not. And, we'll you listen, and you
0: listen to a lot of podcasts, yeah.
1: And I'm a podcast junkie, so we thought, hey, this will work, yeah. And so it'll be hopefully it'll this will be a nice way for foresters to get information that they can use, that they can listen to, maybe on the on the way to the woods, coming back from the mm-hmm. woods, short, concise. It's delivered to them, so they don't have to go looking for it. It's in their inbox. They can listen to it whenever they want to. Hopefully, they want to listen to it.
0: Okay. Well, let's give this
1: a try here. Later in today's episode, we'll also hear from our listeners in a regular segment uh, we call originally the Dropbox.
0: So, the interesting part about that is, since it's our first episode, we have no questions in the Dropbox. (laughs) Right, Brad? It's an empty box at this point. Okay. So, we're going to encourage people later to submit those. Yep. By the way, today's episode of the Silviculture Podcast is brought to you by Q-Factor Industries. You know their slogan, next time we'll be there for you, just a little less than before. So we'll get started. As foresters, one thing we think about a lot is regeneration. Making sure we establish the right species and density of tree seedlings follow harvest is a basic element of sustainable forestry. So today on Silvacast, we're talking about a new system to measure Wisconsin's natural regeneration success or failure, and that is the forest regeneration metric, or what we call FRM. So today on Silvacast, we have with us Dustin Bronson, a research plant physiologist with the US Forest Service Northern Research Station, and Casey Menick, forest regeneration program specialist with Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. So hey Casey,
1: yeah. hey Dustin. Welcome to the show. Thanks. So full disclosure <laughs> Dustin, many many listeners will recognize you as a former DNR employee, now turncoat. Is that not true?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, so for uh, seven years from 2012 until uh, 2019 I was uh, the DNR uh, forest ecology scientist, started in uh, science services and then uh, Forestry brought me over into their division, and uh, I loved every minute of it. I thought I was going to have uh, be there my entire career, and uh, as I was living up in Rhinelander, a unique opportunity came along with the Forest Service. And I tell you, one of the things that I'm, I'm that's my life mission is that uh, during those seven years as a scientist in Rhinelander with the DNR, I wanted to collaborate more than we did with the Forest Service. And I didn't know how to do that. You don't know the inroads. And so now that I feel like I have a good handle on the DNR and I'm, I'm at the Forest Service, my like goal is to come up with a kind of a, a more collaborative research group um, and and work with the DNR a lot. And so I, I really see there's a lot of kind of potential opportunities with me going to the Forest Service um, to kind of co-develop research with the DNR hand in hand. So that's my goal. We'll see if we can So continue. what you're
0: saying is we can't get rid of you.
2: You'll never get rid of (laughs) (laughs) me. Okay,
1: just we got that
0: straight. Yeah,
2: I'm here forever.
1: Our other guest today on the show is Casey Menick. Casey, tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Hi. So I've been with the DNR for about two years now. I was brought on as a forest regeneration program specialist to kind of monitor and coordinate the monitoring of the FRM measurements across the state, both for program management and for data analysis.
1: That's a, maybe the first question. Some of us may not know what FRM is. What is
3: FRM? So FRM is the forest regeneration metric. Um, we are using it for our larger statewide monitoring. It's a 300th acre plot uh, where we're telling all seedling and sapling size trees by height class. Um, and we're finding that height class is really important to look at how regeneration trajectories can be seen across forests and really take a better assessment of what your management is looking like.
0: So it's a Regeneration Survey Method.
3: Yes, correct.
0: And foresters are familiar with lots of different survey methods for regeneration. And I know from working with Wisconsin DNR, we've never really been consistent about what kind of method or survey we use. So, so why is this particular method better? Why, why are we going to this particular system?
3: Yeah, I think having a standardized metric is really the most important thing here. Um, Like you said, people are doing a lot of things in different ways, but it makes it really difficult to try to do any kind of comparisons evenly across the counties, across the statewide, across forest groups. So really having one metric to kind of rule them all is, is really important to take a look at these better statewide analyses.
2: When I was in, as a DNR forest scientist, you know, folks were coming to me uh, from leadership and kind of high up and asking a lot of questions about state forestry as a whole. And of course, this was pre-tablet days. And so it was really hard because foresters do a variety of different monitoring. They might just do the quick windshield check. They're going out to stands that they set up a number of years ago, and they just want to make sure that they're on the right trajectory. They might actually collect data and they write it down and it's sitting in a drawer somewhere or at best, it's sitting on their computer in an Excel file. And so it was really hard um, uh, up until the FRM for us to be able to say something um, across multiple different kind of ranger stations and multiple different counties um, and so we needed a system that really collected data all in the same way, under the same protocol, and it would be centrally located so that when leadership or, or whoever has a question that we could go to this kind of central repository for data and, and, and look and, and hopefully try to come up with some, um, some answers to those questions.
0: So not only were you trying to provide a tool for foresters looking at their stands, but you were trying to bring that data all together on a much larger scale so you can start to answer other questions.
3: Exactly, yeah.
1: One plot to rule them all. One right. to rule them all. <laughs> yeah. So are other states doing something similar to this?
2: Well, I don't know about other states. Um, I know that, um, it, just maybe to talk about the the history of this, this thing, um, back uh, a number of years ago, uh, there was a civil culture guidance team Uh, or a post-hoc team formed from civil culture guidance team uh, looking at forest regeneration. And they wanted to look at the goals of this ad hoc team that I was a part of, uh, wanted to look at standards for regeneration, so what are minimum standards, uh, and then how should we go about measuring those. And so it was during that process that part of my job at that time was to kind of look at what other people are doing to assess regeneration. And we we know that, I'm sure we're going to say the word deer hundred times during this mm-hmm. podcast um, but we know deer are a major problem uh, in forest regeneration or at least they can be and so we wanted a metric that kind of could help us assess what the deer impacts are but also just give us something beyond deer because so many deer metrics are just deer focused and they're not providing you any other helpful benefit beyond a deer browse see let's say so we, we looked at a variety of different metrics what other states were doing and what we came on to that we were really excited about was at, um, a recent Forest Service scientist had published a general technical report, uh, GTR 148. I'll see if we <laughs> can include it in the show notes. Um, but it's Will McWilliams was the author of that. And so we want to always give him credit. And he came up with this forest regeneration metric. Um, and it looked at the, the, the interesting part of the metric is that it incorporated heights, so so foresters are probably trained you know in school to count seedlings and saplings but as soon as something you know a seedling progresses into the sapling class it's no longer typically browsable it, it's it's terminal is typically beyond six feet it's deer are not having a major impact on saplings Um, So we're bundling the seedling class all together and and we needed some more kind of uh, finer understanding of different sizes of seedlings. And so height class gives us that. And so the beauty of the FRM is that we have different height classes uh, across the seedling and sapling range. And if you can, you know, kind of like the reverse J Uh, for seedling sapling class, if you can do that kind of reverse J throughout the entire height class range, now we can have more kind of predictive abilities about how many one-foot seedlings and three-foot seedlings do you need to create let's say a five-foot or a ten-foot seedling. And so that was really important. And the other kind of interesting thing about the metric that we really liked uh, from a state perspective is that um, this Forest Service Scientist created it to be incorporated into FIA. And so this is part of the FIA P2 Plus protocol, this exact FRM measurement. Uh, We've made some slight tweaks to it for Wisconsin, um, but we only did that to make it kind of faster and and more efficient, but it still talks with the the FIA measurement. So as we're collecting FRM data here in Wisconsin, we now can uh, employ employ FIA data um, and look at the same metric for Wisconsin, but outside of Wisconsin as well. And so now we can see what Michigan is, what their uh, their equivalent FRM data is doing, what Minnesota's equivalent FRM data. And that's that's huge when you can look across the entire region. So very powerful. Mm-hmm. So one of
0: the unique aspects of this particular survey method is the height classes that are incorporated into that. Mm-hmm. And how, and we're collecting that information statewide, so... How is that information being used? Like what, are we, what, are we, um, what are we doing with the data that we collect across the state? Are we, what kind of questions are we trying to answer?
3: Sure. So right now we're just really looking to see at which areas of the state, what the regeneration is looking like across habitat types, across forest types, um, to really see are we meeting those regeneration standards that we have in place on average. Um, going forward that'll be really helpful to see Um, do our regeneration recommendations make sense based on these Um, Mm -hmm. and I think taking that height class into perspective are we seeing that things are able to reach that kind of benchmark that we have set in a trajectory and a timeline that we want to see it looking like Mm
0: -hmm. so so part of that data then that foresters are collecting uh, also Uh, Has some information about the actual silviculture that's going on on those sites. So um, so That data then can be broken up into the different silvicultural methods Mm -hmm. that are being used.
3: Yeah So we'll be able to look at how different harvest types um, And how that kind of trajectory over time looks years after those harvest types So does it take X amount of years after a single tree selection versus doing some kind of patch selection harvest Um, And really break down those differences between management to see how more specifically the regeneration is responding. Mm
1: -hmm. Casey, uh, listeners might not be familiar with what an FRM plot is. What what is an FRM plot?
3: So an FRM plot is a 300th acre plot, so a 6.8 foot radius. Um, In in a plot, all seedling and sapling size trees are going to be tallied by height class Um, We're also going to be looking at deer browse impacts, which is on a intensity scale from one to six, which is based on a percentage of stems with evidence of deer browse. Um, We're also looking at a couple other plot level variables, um, herbaceous and woody competition, as well as overstory cover, and then recording details on forest type, previous management, and next plan management.
2: To think that, like, if you're a forester, let's say, You know, if you're a forester right now and you're looking at a stand that you're getting ready to enter, to manage, set up a prescription for. If you were to have data from the from the last harvest or immediately after the last harvest to say, what was the diversity after the last harvest? How many stems per acre did we have? What was you know, what was the different height classes of that regeneration? And now you get to see what it looks like as a mature stand. And, you know, you went between those two points in time incredibly powerful. And so the, the, the next kind of class of foresters, and hopefully it's it, this, this measurement, this tool becomes more useful as the years go on and hopefully even in the five, ten year span. But to think to be a forester 40 years from now and to be looking at mature stands that you're going to harvest and have these data to say this is what the stand started as, uh, and to be able to harvest it and say, do we have more regeneration than it did prior? Or are we significantly less in regeneration? It's going to be hugely powerful. It's a, it's going to be a game changer down the road. It's a, this tool only becomes more and more powerful as we continue collecting more data.
0: I can hear some foresters saying, though, no, I don't have time to take regeneration plots. Yeah. So what would you say to that? How much time does that take <laughs> them?
3: Well, it depends on how much regeneration you have, but um, FRM plots can be completed in only a couple minutes if you have. Um, kind of an average stand. And you can add FRM as a, into your regular cruise that you're doing. So you can add it as every cruise point if you want really good data or every couple cruise points. It's all going to depend on what kind of level of um, data significance you want to see. If you just want a general survey, you can do that or you can take a more intensive um, kind of sampling method to get that really detailed data that you're looking for.
2: Mm-hmm. It, and you know, to kind of build on it, you know, we have uh, the DNR, the Wisconsin DNR is lucky to have a dedicated FRM team, people that this is their job every day. But we have DNR foresters that are doing this as well. Um, but we also have some county foresters, uh, you know, shout out to Bayfield County and Taylor County. They've really kind of taken the lead and we hope to see more counties get involved with this. Uh, Bayfield does enough plots. They're able to tell information on a stand basis. So oftentimes, you know, right now the way this tool was set up was to take a few plots per stand, but to be able to say something more about a cover type across, let's say, a county or a region. Um, but if you get enough plots in a stand, you can start to say, you know, is the west side fully stocked? Is the east side fully stocked? You can say something about that stand specifically. And so um, we're seeing we're seeing different groups of people. We have these plots being taken on federal lands and private lands, mm-hmm. and so we're really going to have a good understanding across ownership. Uh, but the more buy-in, especially from professional foresters across the state, and maybe even across the region, I know we've talked to it, uh, Michigan and Minnesota, and they seem very intrigued by incorporating this, but obviously these are large kind of uh, changes at the leadership level, you know, when you're talking about taking time. Um, so we, we'd like to see this this measurement grow. And, again, we didn't start it. We could just kind of build upon what the Forest Service had already created. Um, but I, it's, it's going to be – it's it's going to be pretty powerful. So what I'm hearing you
0: saying is it a little bit depends on what are the questions that the forester wants answered in terms of how much time and effort and how many plots they put in. Yeah. So if they want, you know, really specific detailed information at the stand level, that's going to be more plots. If you're at, trying to answer these broad questions you're talking about at the state level, that's going to be more fewer plots, more distir- dispersed over a big area.
2: You know, so so again, I said we made some slight changes from the forest service measurement, and the reason the forest service measurement, like I'll give some examples here. If you if you look through the GTR, they don't talk about doing uh, like an understory competition measurement. Or, nor an overstory shading measurement. But they have, because those data are being collected in the context of FIA, they have those data to kind of talk with it. But since we don't have our FRM plots right next to an FIA plot, we needed to collect some other data to put, to make sense of that. Like, are you, are you in the matrix of the, or are you inside a gap? And that's why we added some of these measurements. But as we were going through and doing this process, we were getting input from foresters and saying, well, you should have an invasive species measurement or you should have a measurement that looks at, you know, ironwood specifically. Um, and so it, we we fed this through the ad hoc process, but we were very careful to say we need a measurement that's quick, that's efficient, and that gets at really what our main point is, and that's forest regeneration. Mm-hmm. Um, So if if a forester out there is really concerned about an invasive species of some sort, and they want to do a count while they're doing forest regeneration, that's great. But we really need a standardized measurement. And so there's part of us that says, let's keep FRM the way it is and the way it's created right now. Um, And it's not going to maybe answer everyone's needs. You know, you might have these additional needs. That's not to say you can't collect information on top of that, Mm -hmm. but at the core, here's what FRM is, a core measurement. Um, and I think it, it probably suffices for at least 95% of the forester needs, at least in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah.
1: So, we, so it's pretty cool that you, you can use FRM at the stand level, but you can use it, you can extrapolate out to regional scales and get really good information out of it. And that's pretty cool. We don't have any tools that do that.
2: You know, probably like my number one question that I received from, from, from leadership, from foresters, um, while I was a DNR scientist was, how many plots do I need? To to say something like that, like that's the ultimate question. And and for people out there listening, like the answer is dependent upon variability. So if you're in a mature red pine stand and you're doing this forest regeneration measurement, I don't know why, but maybe you are. (laughs) um, You can imagine I I bring that up because there's probably not a lot of variability in a mature red pine stand. and so you probably don't need a lot of plots because from one plot to this other plot, there's not a lot of variability. You go to I don't know, you know, some kind of recent patch cut northern hardwoods in which you're inside of gaps and outside of gaps, and there's just a lot of variability. You need more. You need more plots. Um, I, I have a tool. I have a, a, an Excel sheet that I use a lot that really, and I, I we can provide it here uh, for your audience as well. But it it really helps me think about. Um, there's kind of um, a couple inputs, and that's asking you, what well, what is your average number? Let's say the thing you're, you're interested about is average stems per acre. And so if you know your average stems per acre and you know you can calculate a standard deviation, so it might take collecting a couple plots of pilot data, let's say. But if you know average and you know standard deviation, and then it's just, well, how confident do you want to be in your future sampling? And you can set your confidence interval in your allowable error. But then it'll output, okay, based on, on your average and standard deviation, you need... X number of plots and so um, like for the counties that are doing this on their own they want a lot of high confidence information about a single stand they can collect a little bit feed it into this calculator and uh, and tells them how many plots they need if you're just trying to say something about a cover type obviously you're just trying to get that number across the entire region for that cover type so
0: yeah so a lot of the cruising softwares have that calculation mm-hmm, right. built mm-hmm. into them exactly I don't know in Wisconsin we use forest metrics Casey is that does that have a
1: Kind of a standard error.
3: It does for typical in. cruises, not for FRM. Not for the But I think okay. you know other things might have similar yeah. options. And you're
1: looking at variability based on the number of seedlings or saplings, right? Not the overstory? Correct. Yeah.
2: So 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 when you're doing like a plot, how many plots do I need? It's user defined about well, what is the thing you, like well, you're you're creating an average and standard deviation. What is that average? What is that standard deviation? So it could be number of desirable stems, it could be total number of stems, it's it's however you want to calculate it. Um, for FRM, we've gone through the math and, and calculated that already based on some initial data. So that's how the FRM team comes up with their number of plots they need per county per cover type.
1: Mm-hmm. Greg, I think in the future we're going to have a drinking game on the show where when a guest says standard deviation, mm-hmm. we both have to have a cup of coffee. Well, people might do that. People might be doing that <laughs> themselves doing it, right now we'll after they right listen to this. So no, It'll be good. We'll, we'll see. So, uh, Casey, I was going to ask you, yeah. so we, we've we started collecting this at a statewide scale. So where are we at with that right now?
3: So we are, it was initially determined based on kind of that statistical Uh, level that we wanted things to be at that we'll need 16,000 FRM plots collected across the entire state. Um, Right now we're in our second year of sampling. Um, Out of our three-year sampling window, right now we have about 10,000 of that 16,000. So I guess at the end of this year three we're hoping to have that statistically significant county-level regeneration data that we're looking for. So
1: who's collecting that data right now?
3: Yeah, we have a team of 12 seasonal FRM technicians located throughout the state. Um, We're also getting data from county foresters, state foresters, um, private forestry, as well as some of the GNA GNA efforts on federal lands.
1: In the future, do you envision, and maybe this is quite open question for both of you, do you envision that audience or that maybe that group of people bringing that data to us being larger? So not just the technicians, but maybe a whole foresters, others.
3: Yeah, I think as we get the word out more and have people um, utilize FRM more and have that kind of built into recommended um, cruise schedules and things like that, being able to have that huge data source to feed into this program will be huge. And I think once we start to get out some of these early results and show what FRM is capable of, we'll get more and more data sourcing as we go on.
0: Are you looking for, in those 16,000 plots, uh, certain cover types?
3: yes we are focusing on northern hardwoods oak hickory and pine forests Um, those are three of the more major cover types in wisconsin that we've kind of found have the greatest regeneration concerns so we're measuring those in all counties of the state that are more than 30 percent forested so it's about four yeah the majority two-thirds of the state Um, And then in three counties each, we're taking a look at bottomland hardwoods, spruce, and aspen birch.
0: And since we're looking at regeneration, I assume that uh, these are stands that have been recently harvested?
3: Correct, so we're targeting our sample in stands that have recently had a regeneration harvest, so not including things like thinnings. Um, We're going to areas where foresters are managing for regeneration and where we are going to be Expecting to see regeneration. And what's recently mean? Um, typically, within the past five years, we're focusing our sample on.
0: Okay. And then, is the intent to go back and remeasure some of those?
3: Yes. Yeah, so, at the end of our three-year sampling cycle, we'll begin another window and resample our previous sites, in addition to adding new locations as well.
1: If you had a crystal ball and you could look ahead into the future, we've been doing this for twenty <laughs> years. What do you think is going to be the biggest? benefit we get out of FRM
3: It's a big question. (laughs) Well I think
2: so two two things. Let's see if I can hold on to both of them in my mind here. Uh, The the biggest thing is we're going to be able to so the way this has set up is that we're always thinking about modeling and forecasting, right? And so if you think of if if your listeners know what forest vegetation simulator is, or you know there's a bunch of model products out there that you can use one of the things that any of those model products doesn't do is tell you establishment so if you can if you can if we're getting establishment data and we can say here's how many stems are on the ground right now uh, and here's by the species you're off to a good start because what we can do is kind of grow things in a model world, right? But one of those kind of kind of faults of you know some of the the growing, it's, it's just a volume growth model, is that deer isn't well captured in that, and we know it's a major problem. And so, um, to understand kind of what the drop off is, you know, kind of populate that reverse J, so to speak, so you can say. You know, from one foot to three foot to five foot to 10 foot, here's the kind of exponential decay that we're seeing for this cover type for this region. Once you get above kind of now you're free to grow status, now the models do incredibly well. So our forecasting is going to be hugely, you know, improved upon um, by this tool. And so and the second part that goes into that is kind of feeding into the modeling is the economics of this whole thing. You know, we want to know kind of what our stands are going to look like in terms of species, but as well as economics, we have a lot of industry that is dependent on this. Um, And so to be able to say, this is where we're going. And and if we want to change that trajectory, we still have the opportunity now, right? These stands are five, 10 years old. So if we need to do site prep early, we we, we can do that now. We're not going to be able to do that 20 years down the road. And so uh, it's just a lot easier to kind of Jump on these problems if there are problems early, uh, than later.
1: So it sounds like maybe it's a track record, right? It'll let us know what works, what doesn't work, so we can avoid the things that don't work, and then hopefully be a little more efficient in time and money and things like that. And
2: as I mentioned earlier, in, in, in you know the podcast here is you know to be a forester and to be handed data with with you know the your mature stand that you're about to go enter and set up a prescription for and say here's what the regeneration looked like. 40 years ago when the stand was initiated that's huge you know you get to see now what what you're dealt with and after you harvest that what is how does my seedling density and species richness compared to what it was when the last forester you know harvested this thing like i think i think it's really going to help us understand especially when you throw climate into this whole thing Mm -hmm. and how does warmer drier conditions it's not this the title of this podcast shouldn't be that it's all deer that there is just a lot of things going on out there and it's complex and so right now at the very least we're just trying to understand what's working what's not are things changing you know in the course of that stand rotation period
0: what what always kind of amazes me that regeneration is such a basic element of forestry but we've never really systematically monitored yep. the regeneration mm-hmm individual foresters have done great jobs you know in their area they do regeneration checks they've got a good handle on things but nobody shares the information nobody looks across lines and uh there's large areas where we never monitored it and we just assumed that it would work and so when you put this into a have a consistent system um i think is just an amazing step forward
2: you know i oftentimes i think we often like we hammer on ourselves and say, why didn't we do this 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago? But you figure like, okay, we had the cutover, right? 1920s, 1930s, I mean, up until that point. And so by the time we had our real first mature stands that were entering, it was darn near the 70s, right? And for a lot of stands. And so at that point, it was all about timber improvement. How do we go into these stock stands and improve the timber value? And so a lot of the research during that period, 70s and 80s, was... You know what thinning method to what basal area threshold should we be thinning to, and it was all about it was all about improving that stand yeah. that we were heart- that we handed after the cutover and now we're getting to a point in our forestry history that we're now starting to rotate stands through enough that mm-hmm. we're thinking, wow, we need to be thinking more of just improvement. we got to be yeah. thinking about you yeah, rigid- know anyway, it just it puts into context of maybe why that hasn't been the focus up till now
3: mm-hmm.
1: so Casey, people are going to be really interested in this. Where can they go to get more information about FRM?
3: Yeah, the DNR's website, dnr.wisconsin.gov. If you do keyword search FRM, we have a lot of protocol resources. We have training videos um, and some early data as we start to get that out. So I'd really recommend people take a look at that site for more information or get in contact if they have any questions about starting FRM, monitoring on their own sands or, yeah.
1: Okay, and hopefully we can try and put maybe some of that information in the show notes as well so we yeah. can yeah. take a put look at Yeah, put some links that. down below. We got show notes. We got show notes. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> we professional, Greg. We can do this. We have show notes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we're not professionals. Uh,
0: Casey, Dustin, thank you for coming to yeah. our inaugural yeah. podcast.
3: Thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah,
0: thank you. Thank you, guys. This was fun. Good discussion. Yeah. That was Dustin Bronson, a research plant physiologist with the U.S. Forest Service, Northern Research Station, and Casey Menick, Forest Regeneration Program Specialist with Wisconsin DNR, Division of Forestry.
1: Well, that wraps up our first episode of Silvacast. We hope you enjoyed the experience, good, bad, or otherwise. Have any ideas for future topics? Have any burning questions you'd like us to take a stab at? drop us a line at fedi at uwsp.edu. We'll try to answer your question on our next podcast.
0: Podcasts don't happen on their own, so thanks to Haley Frater and Dan Martinson from UW-Stevens Point's Forestry Education and Development Initiative.
1: The entire archive of Silvacast can be found on... Hey, wait, Brad. This is the first episode. Oh,
0: yeah. By the way... Today's episode of Silvacast is brought to you by Q Factor Industries, whose slogan is, next time we'll be there for you, just a little less
3: than before.